Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome back to A History of Europe, Key Battles podcast. Today's episode is the first of four on the Battle of Chotin, 1621. One of the most fascinating groups of people in European history are the Cossacks. Today a romantic image still persists in Western Europe of horsemen in fur hats armed with sabres, galloping over the Russian steppes. In other parts of Europe and Asia, they are less favourably seen, notorious for their brutality and lawlessness. In the pre-modern age, the Cossacks inhabited a no-man's land in southeastern Europe, between the Christian states of Poland-Lithuania and Muscovy to the north, and the Ottoman Turks and their vassals to the southeast. They were not so much a distinct race, but a way of life, a military caste whose service, though not always loyalty, was bought for concessions of land and limited independence. The Cossack phenomenon, without doubt, occupies a central place in the history of Ukraine and is important for the whole of southeastern Europe. Their political role changed over the centuries, from when they were first formed in the 15th century to the modern day. By the beginning of the 19th century, the Cossacks had formed a close relationship with the rulers of Russia. Then, in the Russian Revolution of 1917, while many Cossack regiments joined the Red Army of the Bolsheviks, others remained loyal to the old Tsarist regime and joined the White Army to try and reverse the revolution. Stalin saw Cossacks as a potential threat and purged them in the 1930s. But after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, the surviving Cossacks made a return to their homelands, and many took an active part in post-Soviet conflicts. Today they remain a distinct group. In Russia's 2002 population census, more than 140,000 people reported their ethnicity as Cossacks. Today's podcast covers the Battle of Khotin, also known as the Battle of Chokim, which took place between the 2nd of September and the 9th of October 1621, between a combined Cossack and Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth Army and an invading Ottoman Imperial Army. The events were recorded in the memoirs of Jakub Sobieski, a leading Polish noble of the time, which in due course served to inspire perhaps the most celebrated epic poem in Polish literature, Václav Potocki's Wojna Okoczymska, The War of Chakim. Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles podcast. 
The Battle of Chotin, 1621. Who exactly were the Cossacks? It depends on the period. The word is of Turkic origin, and depending on the context, could refer to a guard, a freeman, or a freebooter. Their exact origins are disputed, but for sure, they started off as small bands who lived in sparsely populated steplands, in the so-called Wild Fields, the south and eastern parts of modern Ukraine, north of the Black Sea and Azov Sea. The grasslands there were traditionally the home of various nomadic peoples, and over the centuries had experienced various waves of migration of different peoples, from Scythians to Huns and Bulgars, Pechenegs, Kipchaks and Mongols. The Pontic steppe of Ukraine is actually one part of a vast belt of grassland that stretches from Mongolia to Hungary. Most of the steppe is covered by tough grasses, yet in spring there is a blaze of colour with the flowering of tulips, peonies and sage. The climate is continental, harsh hot summers and freezing cold winters with very little precipitation. Rivers and ravines are the only interruptions in this otherwise featureless landscape. Trees occur naturally only along riverbanks as there is insufficient rainfall to support them elsewhere. Following the Mongol invasion of the 13th century, the numbers of settlements and farming communities in the region dwindled, and those who remained were under constant threat of destructive rage from the Mongol Tatar territory further south. By the 16th century, Poland had become an important exporter of grain to the rest of Europe. Ukrainian lands to the south were very attractive as good potential agricultural land, prompting local Rus nobles, joined by their Polish counterparts further west, to claim for themselves large tracts of land and settle them with peasants from more densely populated areas of Galicia, Volhynia and Muscovy. Gradually, more and more individuals ventured to the south and east, into the steplands, down the Dnieper River and its tributaries, where they found fish, wild buffalo and horses, and the eggs of wildfowl. At first, these expeditions lasted only a few weeks. Soon, however, they lasted whole summers, long enough to plant a crop and harvest it from the rich soil. Tales of the steppe's natural wealth spread rapidly, attracting increasing numbers to the area. The landlords in the north, seeing an opportunity to increase their wealth, demanded a portion of the foodstuffs brought back from the Ukrainian wilderness. The more daring, however, decided not to return for the winter at all, and to make permanent homes in the steppes. Their way of life became increasingly similar in many ways to Turkic people who traditionally inhabited the steppelands. Another kind of Cossack were mercenary warriors who entered the service of Lithuanian and Polish frontier officials of the powerful magnates who usually maintained their own armies, some of whom were renegades from the Crimean Khan's armies. The Cossacks were originally a mix ethnically of Turks and Slavs, although the latter came to dominate. The predominant tribe in the area was the Nogay Tatars, Nomadic people of Turkic origin, the Nuggets were originally one of the many tribal groupings within the Golden Horde. In the 1550s, when the Muscovites subdued the Khanates of Kazan and Astrakhan, they were forced to migrate westward to the steppe lands of Ukraine. 
Theoretically, the various Nogay tribesmen recognised the authority of the Crimean Khan, who in turn were effectively vassals of the Ottoman Empire. In practice, they were mostly independent to follow their own whims. There was little central control among the Nogays, as each sub-tribe had their own leader. They did, however, serve a useful function to the Ottomans as a buffer to the Christian kingdoms to the north, and they provided the Crimean slave markets with a steady supply of captives, who were then sold on throughout the Ottoman Empire. According to Islamic law, only persons from outside the Muslim world could be enslaved. For centuries, Christians in lands neighbouring the Ottomans in modern-day Ukraine and southern Russia faced the ever-present threat of capture. By the 16th century, the Crimean Khanate had become the primary source of slaves for the Ottomans. Paul Mogorsky, in his book A History of Ukraine, writes that scholars have estimated an average 20,000 captives from Poland-Lithuania each year, with total losses from the period 1500 to 1664 reaching about 1 million people. But according to Sergei Prochy, the numbers of slaves brought to the markets on Crimea in the 16th century and the 17th century is estimated between 1.5 to 3 million. Children and adolescents brought the highest prices. Most of the male slaves were conscripted into the Ottoman Imperial Naval Fleet or made to labour on landed estates, whereas women were mostly employed as house servants. A few captors who converted to Islam served in the Ottoman military, and some females were conscripted into the harems of the elite, including the sultans. Right, Sergei Plokhi in his book, The Gates of Europe, A History of Ukraine, the Tatars' attacks and slave trade left deep scars in Ukrainian memory. The fate of the slaves was a subject of numerous so-called Dumas, Ukrainian epic songs that lamented the fate of the slaves, and describe their attempts to free themselves from Crimean slavery. The danger from the Nogay tribesmen encouraged many from making the steppelands their home. The Cossack frontier dwellers who dared to stay were forced to protect themselves. By the 16th century, they had grouped into small bands engaged in banditry as well as trade, especially of livestock and furs. As they grew in numbers, they started to turn the tables, attacking Nogay slave-raiding parties and Crimean Tatar trade caravans, even at times venturing down the Dnieper River and raiding deep into Crimean territory, as far as the Black Sea coast. The Crimean Khans complained to the rulers of Poland-Lithuania, who promised to investigate reports of such raids, but little was done and the raids continued. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The relationship between Muscovy and Poland-Lithuania and the Cossacks mirrored the relationship between the Ottomans and the Crimean Tatars, where neither had full control over their respective allies in the borderlands. The Cossacks, like the Nogues, were not united but separated into many groups. The two main groups were the Zaporozhian Cossacks of the river Dnieper, who had relations with Poland-Lithuania, and to the east, the Don Cossacks on the river Don, who had a close relationship with Muscovy. Gradually, both Cossack groups began to develop a sense of identity that was rooted in their shared way of life and a distinct territory. The Zaporozhian Cossacks were centred on a series of small islands between the rapids on the Dnieper River, which were almost inaccessible and so easy to defend. Their boats were called seagulls. They were river craft adapted to work in open water and which they used to make raids on the Turkish settlements around the Black Sea coast. As for their costume, they wore long baggy trousers tucked into high soft leather boots. Their shaggy fur hats were influenced by the Mongols. Their long cloaks, usually made of sheepskin, served as blankets as well as topcoats. In 1553, the Grand Duke of Poland-Lithuania sent a small force beyond the Dnieper Rapids to build a small fortress to stop Cossacks from proceeding further down the river. Not surprisingly, the Crimean Khan saw the fortress as encroaching on his realm and expelled the force. By then, the lands along both the Dnieper and Don were full of new settlements. The Tsars of Muscovy employed the Cossacks as part of a deliberate planned attempt at military colonisation building garrisons ever further southwards. The Polish-Lithuanians tried to do likewise. Konstantin Ostrzokowski, the governor of Kiev from 1559, made efforts to recruit the Cossacks into military service to try and establish some form of control over the unruly crowd. In the 1570s, a number of Cossack units were formed to fight in the Livonian Wars in the north. On the Polish border, the Cossacks were increasingly able to make the transition from banditry to becoming more organised into a type of proto-state. The political vacuum in the area provided the space for the Cossacks to develop. As for Muscovy, following the successful captures of Kazan and Astrakhan by Ivan IV the Terrible in the 1550s as described in the earlier podcast, the Russian southern border was becoming more secure than before, but it was still under threat. Ivan still had to pay tribute to the Nogay tribes and to the Crimean Tatars to pay them off for not raiding into his territories. But Muscovy was growing in power and Ivan increasingly confident about resisting requests for tribute. Ivan refused to pay the full amount demanded by the insatiable Nogays, which was enough to put off a full-scale campaign, but not smaller raids. In April 1581, the head of the Nage tribe, Udus Bey, sent an envoy to Ivan. Udus Bey complained about the lack of tribute and also demanded the return of a number of German and Lithuanian captives who had fled his territory to Muscovite-controlled Astrakhan. Ivan assured the envoy that the captives would be sent back to the Nages. In exchange, he asked Udus Bey to contribute 
2,000 horsemen for a campaign against Lithuania. If the Nogais continued, Ivan threatened to stop restraining his people from moving into the frontier region and to unleash the Cossacks against the Nogais. Unimpressed by Ivan's response, Uda's base sent 30,000 of his men to join a Crimean party raiding the entire Muscovite southern border. Ivan finally yielded and promised to deliver the payments demanded by the Nogais. When Uda's Bay demanded even more tribute, plus the return of the German and Lithuanian captives and compensation for Russian Cossack captives who had fled Nogai territories, Ivan refused. He argued that the Cossacks were brigands and not under his control. In January 1582, Tsar Ivan IV completed a ten-year truce with Poland and Lithuania, and the following year, one with Sweden. This allowed him to shift resources to the southern border to counter the threat of the Nogai and Crimean raids. The Muscovites built several new forts along the Volga to consolidate their control of Kazan and Astrakhan. In the 1590s, the Nogais were distracted by infighting after the death of Udus Bey, but the Crimean Tatars continued their attacks. In 1593, the Crimeans devastated the Russian regions of Ryazan, Kashira and Tula, and brought back numerous captives. When the Russians agreed to resume payments, the Crimeans turned their attention away from Moscow and helped the Ottomans in their wars against the Habsburgs by redirecting their raids towards Hungary. By 1600, Moscow was able to rebuild a number of settlements on its southern border, such as Voronezh, Kursk and Belgorod, and to establish a number of new frontier defences further south, far from the Oka River, which had marked the line of defence since the time of the Golden Horde in the 13th century. With the Nogais weakened, Moscow was growing confidence and turning the balance of power in the steppelands in its favour. Both Muscovite and Polish rulers saw the advantage of harnessing the service of the Cossacks into their state. Men recruited into the military were called registered Cossacks. They were exempted from paying taxes, protected from ensurfment and oppression from royal officials, and paid a decent salary. In 1590, the Diet of Poland-Lithuania decreed the creation of a force of 1,000 registered Cossacks to protect the southern borderlands from the Tatars, and also the Tatars from the unregistered Cossacks. The system of registration, however, did not guarantee royal control and was unable to accommodate all those striving to obtain Cossack privileges. The Cossacks' rugged life on the steppes and their evolution into a military force fostered a sense of independence which inevitably clashed with the efforts of Polish-Lithuanian magnates to extend further their control over the area. The Zaporozhian Cossacks became a political as well as military force in their own right. In 1591, a Cossack uprising occurred, the first of many over the years. They turned their attention away from harassing Ottoman territories and rebelled against their own landlords. The tensions were multi-layered. Landowning Cossacks sought to obtain more privileges within the Polish administrative hierarchy. The traditional Polish and Rus magnates, however, refused to accept them as equals. Meanwhile, the vast majority of Zaporozhian Cossacks who were not registered scorned their registered comrades. They wanted nothing to do with any system of governmental control and wished to be left alone to follow the traditional Cossack way of life, hunting, fishing 
a little farming and raiding. The unregistered Cossacks provided short-term service to Poland's kings, who at the same time sought alliances with foreign powers. In the 1590s they accepted an invitation from Emperor Rudolf II of the Holy Roman Empire to join in a crusade against the Ottomans. They took this occasion to raid and loot the Ottoman provinces of Wallachia and Moldavia in modern-day Romania. In next week's chapter, I turn attention to the Ottoman Turks to take a look at how they were to respond to the growing threat of the Cossacks. It's great to be back after a break of a few months. Life has just taken over with various things, um, including an election in the UK at the end of last year. But uh, this is a, a new year now, and I've had a bit more time to look at the podcast. I still can't promise to continue with the same frequency as before, but I am continuing the research and will continue to get out the episodes when I can. There's lots lots to talk about. Uh, So the next few weeks will be the next three parts of the Battle of Khotin. Lots more to talk about than I thought when I first looked into it, with the Cossacks and the Ottomans and uh, what was going on in southeastern Europe at the time, I found fascinating. Um, Then the Thirty Years' War uh, will be next, and lots of other conflicts going on in Europe in the 17th century to talk about. So, thanks for holding on. Um, It's also great to see more than 300 reviews now of the podcast on iTunes uh, from the United States alone. And so each good review gives me great encouragement, motivation to to keep on going. So thanks for that. Um, So, as I say, next three weeks will be Battle of Khotin. And uh, so it's great to be back and speak to you all soon. Bye-bye.